I'm back. Yo, what is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for the emails, the tweets, sometimes even texts asking about the show. We're going to get into all of the reasons why I was on a bit of a hiatus. Don't worry. It's nothing negative, nothing to worry about. But we got so much to discuss on episode 102 of the Quarterly Report podcast. Obviously, I am your host, Armand Lee. Man, thank you guys so much for welcoming me back into your lives with open arms, man. It feels good. It feels so good to be back in front of this microphone. And damn it, we've got a lot to discuss. The NBA playoffs are still going on. They've been amazing. I've been itching to talk about them for so long. But one thing that I want to talk about is a team who's no longer playing. Of course, that's the Philadelphia 76ers because I think they've got the most interesting offseason well, at least one of the most interesting off-seasons of any team in the league. We're going to break that down in a second. Plus, an end of an era in D.C. sports. We're going to take some time to discuss the legend, Steve Buckhans. All that and so much more, including the future and a big-time change for this very podcast. All that and so much more upcoming. But first, our number one topic this week. First, We've all heard the same. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And that was the first thing that came to my mind Friday night. But in reality, I think all of us knew some small bit of us, some small bit of our minds thought that this was going to happen on Friday. Of course, I'm talking about the Houston Rockets. There's so much about the Rockets that intrigues me right now. You know, Daryl Morey, Mike D'Antoni, they've, all, they've been so forthcoming about how consumed they are about not only winning a championship, but mainly beating the Golden State Warriors. This has been something for like three to four years now that they've talked about on record. Like, this is what they want. They want to not only win a championship, obviously, but they want to beat the Golden State Warriors. And last year, it looked, I thought they had them. Houston went up three games to two. Unfortunately for them, Chris Paul tears his hamstring. However, in the next two games, they had, what, 15-point leads in both of them. Now, obviously, a 15-point lead on, on Golden State is the equivalent of a six-point lead on anybody else. Doesn't mean much. But Houston has been constructed sole for the sole purpose of beating Golden State. They went to the lab and manipulated they understood the rules. They understood what Golden State did, and Houston just cranked it up to 33, right? And they constructed this team for the sole purpose of not just winning a championship, but mostly, in my opinion, to beat Golden State. Because I guess in their minds, to win a championship, ultimately, you have to beat Golden State. And for two years in a row, two years in a row, Houston has had that opportunity right in their hands. And what has happened? We know about... The, the dreadful three-point streak in Game 7 last year. But this year feels almost worse. Last year, the best player for the Rockets in that series was Chris Paul. So you could say, you know what? Chris was hurt. He was their best player. That's, those are just the breaks. But look how the basketball gods work. The very next year, in an earlier round, everything broke Houston's way. 
You didn't have to worry about an injury to Chris Paul. You didn't have to worry about an injury to James Harden and Clint Capella. Everybody was straight. And in game five, Kevin Durant, two-time finals MVP, he goes down with a calf strain. Everything was lined up for Houston. And they lost game five. I am completely watched in this day and age now, man. I, I couldn't stay up to watch that game. So I wake up in the middle of the night and I see a text from one of my partners be like, yo, damn, that looks bad for KD. Now, me as a Knicks fan, that gave me night terrors. I was like, oh, my God, what happened? And then Twitter was going nuts. Achilles injury for KD. I was thinking to myself, ain't this the most Nick thing possible? You know, it, this, this of course would happen. Now, I'm not counting my eggs before they hatch. But damn it, I'm getting close. I'm looking at those motherfuckers. You understand? I ain't counting them yet. But damn if I ain't doing my multiplication principles. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? But in any case, Houston had a chance to close a game on the road a game that they were going to have to win. If in order for them to beat Golden State this year, they would have had to win on the road. So why not in the game where Kevin Durant can't close it out? They had an opportunity and they let it slip away. And even Friday before their game six, I think all of us knew, at least a small part of us felt, you know what, that loss is going to come and bite them in the ass. Now me... I'm under the impression that Houston was going to win game six. They were a seven-point favorite against the two-time reigning NBA champions. At home, one of the best home teams in the league. Quick aside, what the hell is up with the Houston home court, bro? Houston is a big city. They are a consistent contender. Over the last three years, they've been one of the best two or three teams in the entire league consistently. How the hell can you explain that crowd? Lifeless. Most oftentimes, not even a packed house. You understand? And if you've ever had an encounter with a Rockets fan on Twitter, it has to be baffling because on Twitter, just like every other fan base, they're nuts. Rockets fans are nuts. They think everybody's out to get them. They think that a team which has been built about manipulating the rules and referees, anytime one call goes against them, the world is out to get them. It's a conspiracy. James Harden is the most hated player, blah, 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 blah. Rockies fans go stupid hard on Twitter. You watch a game against the Golden State Warriors and you can see red seats. The crowd ain't cheering. I'm thinking to myself, how is Houston such a trash home court? Think about the best fan bases, right? Utah, Oklahoma City, in no particular order, Philadelphia, my Knicks, the Raptors, the Warriors, the Blazers, the Nuggets. Go down the list, the Bucks. Go down the list of the teams and the fan bases who show out regularly, the Celtics, over and over and over again, right? You would think the Mavericks even. The Spurs got a better home, and I can't stand watching the Spurs at home. But their home court is live within the Rockets. How is that possible? I don't understand that at all. I'm sorry, that was a quick, a quick rant. Back to, back to my point. The Rockets, I think we all felt deep down that although most of us thought that they would win game six, we all felt like, you know what, 
they let a chance, a golden opportunity slide by the wayside by not winning game five. But these Bamas didn't even win game six at home. So from this, hear ye, hear ye. You feel me? I'm, I'm, I'm making the declaration. You know, scrolling through. You know what I'm talking about? Get the Ravens ready. Give me the ink. I'm so sick of the damn Rockets. I'm done with them. Put them, dog. The Rockets, to me, dead in the ground stinking. Dig a ditch. Dig a hole, bro. I'm done with them. I'm done with them. And I like James Harden. I like Chris Paul. Kenneth Fareed, I always have rocked with Kenneth Fareed. He ain't get a damn second in this series. And I think that was nuts, but I understand his defensive limitations. But still, the Rockets have players that I like. But I'm, I'm done. I like Daryl Morey. I love Daryl Morey. But at some point, we got to call a spade a spade, bro. Before Dr. Frankenstein made his, his monster, he probably had to run through some trash where he's like, you know what? This just ain't it. I look at the Houston Rockets right now. I'm like, dog, this just ain't it. It's not. And there's no shame in losing to the Golden State Warriors. That's the one thing. I am coming to this final thought, like my final opinion on the Rockets is not because they lost to the Warriors. There's no shame in losing to the Warriors. Everyone has lost to the Warriors with the exception of one team over the last four years. Right? So there's no shame in losing to the Warriors. But when you go out of your way to tell the world that you are, you are driven, you are consumed with this one goal, and that's to beat Golden State, Everything that you have done has been in a has been done to beat this one team. And for two years, you've had them right where you've wanted them in two different type of situations, mind you. And both times you dropped the ball, bro, I, I, I'm done with it. I think we all probably feel more than likely that Golden State will look a lot different next season than they do now. And with that being said, maybe, maybe, Houston finally does overcome the Warriors' uh, hurdle, the psychological hurdle. Maybe that is. But at this point, nah, they're not getting the benefit of the doubt because they've dropped the ball two years in a row in, like, amazing fashion. They go one for however many three-point shots in Game 7 at home last year, and then this year you've got five quarters, five quarters without Kevin Durant. Game six, you had an entire half where Steph Curry doesn't even score a point, and you still lose? How? The team offensively, you watch them play, and you're like, yo, you guys are building your offense around step-back threes. I get the idea that threes are more valuable than twos, but to a degree, y'all should have learned that last year. Imagine if James Harden got easy shots. Imagine if Chris Paul could get easy shots. All what what James Harden does is so impressive because none, nothing is easy for him. Even when he gets to the free throw line, he exerts so much energy. The flailing, the flapping. He's risking hurting his ankle every single time he gets one of those three-point foul shots, right? Because he goes out of his way to land on someone's foot or kick out his own legs. Everything that he does is at the highest degree. Of difficulty. 
Meanwhile, the Warriors run the ball. Clay with a wide open shot. Steph run the ball. Takes the screen. Wide open shot. Every time down the floor, James Harden dribble, dribble, dribble. Step back three. Like, I don't know how you could watch that as a Rockets fan or someone who's affiliated with that organization and think, yeah, this is the winning recipe. I tweeted on Friday night. I don't know who's worse, the Rockets or the Chargers, but I'm done with both of them. Because for years now, and the Chargers for way longer than the Rockets, so maybe the Rockets or the Chargers are worse. But for years now, everybody builds up the Rockets. Everybody builds up the Chargers. Everybody talks about how talented they are and how skilled they are and how great of a team, and this is their year. And every year, the Chargers can't beat the Patriots. The Rockets can't beat the Warriors. Fool me once, you did it. This was the second time I'm taking the L. I should have learned from last year, but damn it, I'm not making this mistake again. If I'm wrong next year, I will wear the hat. I'll wear it. But fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, nah, bro. What did my man Cole say? Fuck the peace sign. Let it rain on you. You feel me? That's how I'm going right now. You're not fooling me three times, Houston. Houston, y'all Bama's got a problem, not me. Let me know if you guys feel the same way about the Rockets. Are you done with them? Are you done believing in this Rockets organization or this style of Rockets play? Either way, I'm interested in hearing from you guys. Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, we spell quarterly here, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E at gmail.com. All right, guys, that was the first quarter. First quarter in a few weeks, man. I feel good. I think I'm getting my footing. So we're going to run it through for our second topic this week. Second Y'all, I love the NBA so much. I love the NBA so much. I got a fear of commitment, right? But maybe... My love for the NBA fills that that kind of that vacancy up, man. Because outside of my family, I can commit to man. My team, my favorite team, has been trash for my entire adult life, with the exception of two years. The Knicks went to the NBA Eastern Conference Championship when I was seventeen. When I was eighteen, they lost in the first round. And then they've had, they lost in the first round like three other times since then. They've really only had one great year, one year worth mentioning since I was 17 years old. But I love them. I can't quit them and I can't quit the league. But even with my own personal bias and even with a lot of hope and promise for this upcoming offseason for my beloved Knicks, I don't think that they've got the most intriguing or interesting offseason. In fact, I don't know if they've got the second best. There are a lot of teams this offseason who have a lot riding on the table. And, yeah, I've heard people talk about, man, how do you guys focus on the offseason when we got this much amazing basketball? And I agree. The basketball this year, this year is the first time where the actual play on the court, regular season, playoffs, and it looks like we're going to have an amazing finals as well. That, the play has actually usurped the anticipation for the offseason. The last few years, all the intrigue has been about the offseason, right? Because we knew about the Warriors. LeBron was in the East. We knew it was coming out the East, right? This year, we know the Warriors are going to come out, but we don't know if the Warriors are going to win. We have no idea who's coming out the East. This year, 
really early, we knew the four best teams in the Eastern Conference, and they played that way even though Boston was a five seed, right? I think a lot of us, myself included, saw Boston's talent and ignored all of the chemistry issues, if you will. But right now, man, look at, look at what we are about to get. Giannis versus Kawhi, the two best players, the two best players these entire playoffs, head-to-head. -head. A lot of similarities, right? Guys who initially, there were a lot of critiques. This guy's just a role player. This guy's not a, all the dumb stuff. And we're going to talk about this in halftime. This whole analytical, this anti-analytics -analy movement that's going on. Go back and look just a few years ago what people were saying about Giannis. Seriously, just last year. Hell, before this playoff season started, before this postseason started, or even this, once Milwaukee lost game one to Boston, at any of these times, this season, last year, the year before that, look at what people were saying about Giannis. Right? So don't, I don't even want to hear the analytics, the anti-analytics movement, because y'all Bama suck. Y'all really do. Don't get me started. We, I got halftime for that. But we're going to get Giannis versus Kawhi. Right? We don't know when Kevin Durant comes back. I hope he shuts it down. That's my own selfish reasons. Right? Portland. Portland made the most out of their opportunity. We're going to talk about them later on. They made the most out of their opportunity. God bless them. They finally reached a year after getting swept in the first round. They are now making it to a conference championship, which is a tremendous success and accomplishment. But the team, and we got, again, Toronto's like significantly interesting this offseason. The Lakers, always interesting this offseason. The Celtics, the Knicks, the Clippers, all of these teams have amazing intrigue. We all want to know what's going to happen with this team coming up this offseason. But in my opinion, the most fascinating team this offseason are the Philadelphia 76ers. You can see it coming, bro. And, and I feel bad because I genuinely feel that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, if they stayed together and if they had a competent person running the front office, okay, they ran one guy out. You know, right when, right when they're about to cross the finish line, they ran out Sam Henke. And you look at the last two guys who've been running, including Elton Brand. You look at the people who've been running the show and you start wondering, can they make this work? Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid's game fit. They do. I don't want to hear what anybody else says. Everybody says that it's not a perfect fit. And no, there's never going to be a perfect fit. Kobe and Shaq were a perfect fit. LeBron and Kyrie were a perfect fit. That didn't work. LeBron and Wade were not a quote-unquote perfect fit. But they made it work. Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce weren't a quote-unquote perfect fit. They made it work. You give me two elite-level players, two young guys, two guys who get along, they don't seem to have issues. That's another thing. There doesn't seem to be a Kobe Shaq, Kyrie LeBron dynamic. They're yin-yang. Ben is super quiet. Joel's loud. Ben likes to do the party light, not nightlife superstar stuff. Joel is the man of the people, right? It works. It should work, but I don't think it will work because I don't trust the people running Philadelphia. 
But look at what they've got themselves lined up. Everyone talks about Philadelphia as if they've been a failure. This is the second year that Ben Simmons has been playing basketball for the, that team. In the two years he's played for that team with Joel Embiid, they've won 50-plus games each time. They've advanced to the second round of the players playoffs each time. And it took an amazing shot from the player who's having the best postseason at the buzzer, the first game seven buzzer beater in NBA history. It took that for them to lose on the road. Why is everybody rushing Philadelphia? Why do people act like Philadelphia has to win now? That's what I don't understand. This is year two of them playing together. But some of the moves that they made make you wonder. And some of the chirps that you hear from the outside people make you wonder. Elton Brand traded for Jimmy Butler and it was a masterful move. Masterful. They traded Robert Covington. Robert Covington is a good player. But the best thing about Robert Covington is his contract. Guys like that are perfect to be moved for superstar. Robert Covington is a really, really good player. And if you have the championship core, you plug him in and you can get championship level performance, right? Not that he can be a core member of your team, of a championship team, but he could be a significant contributor. His salary, his style is perfect for those guys that you want to fill in around the rough edges, right? To complete the puzzle of a championship team. He's perfect. But if you can flip him for a legit star in Jimmy Butler, you do it every single day out of the week. And you didn't have to give up much. You flipped Robert Covington and Dario Sarge. I like Dario, but Dario has not played well for a full year now. Got him off your books. He was a reasonable price player. Talented, young, right? But you move Robert Covington, Robert Covington, Dario Sarge, Jared Bayless, and I think a protected second round pick or a future second round pick for Jimmy Butler, one of the 20 best players in this league. You do it every day of the week. Even though Jimmy's in this contract year, you still do it. Because he's that good and he gives a certain level of leadership and toughness that I think that this young Philadelphia 76ers squad needed. So I give Elton Brand praise for that move. But then what did his ass do? I think we all understand Jimmy Butler's a better player than Tobias Harris. If you trade Robert Covington, Dario Saric, Jared Bayless in a future pick for Jimmy Butler, how on earth does it make sense to trade Landry Shaman, a future first-round pick from you, an unprotected Miami pick, for Tobias Harris. I think they may have given up another pick as well. I don't understand that. Why would you give up that much for Tobias Harris? Tobias Harris is a fine player. This is not me knocking Tobias Harris. I do not think Tobias Harris is a bad player. I don't think he's awful. I think he's good. But Tobias Harris is going to want a max contract. Make no mistake. And Tobias Harris probably will get a max contract. And the 76ers are looking at a very real possibility where they let the better player walk only because they gave up so much to get Tobias. I understand that thinking, although I can easily say that would be beyond dumb. If they want to bring the whole gang back, you know, hey, it's not my money. I don't think that that's a smart move either. 
I think the Tobias Harris trade, and this is not revisionist history, I said so the moment it went down. It's like, that is an awful trade. You guys know how I feel about Ben Simmons. In my last episode, I talked about how I think Ben Simmons is viewed through the prism of PPG. Again, we're going to talk about analytics at halftime. Ben Simmons is one of the best players in this league, and he's only 22. I remember the same things people said about Giannis when Giannis was 21, 22, and they're saying the same thing about Ben Simmons. I remember what people said about LeBron. I brought up Jason Kidd three weeks ago, the last time I was on the show, and, and illustrating how crazy it is, some of the criticisms of Ben Simmons. And make no mistake, I'm not saying Ben Simmons is a perfect player. I'm not saying that Ben Simmons does not have flaws. He obviously does. Glaring flaws. He's also 22. This is also his second year. We are in this, in this era where we want microwave production, right? We want craft cheese and macaroni. We want things instantly. Dog, don't you ever bring no craft cheese and macaroni in front of my face, Slim. I take that as a, a, a declaration of war. You put that in front of me, you are testing my heritage. My folk don't do that, Joe. Don't bring no craft cheesy macaroni in front of me and think it's going to be all good. You, you liable to get the Lex Luger forearm to your head. You feel me? Don't do that. Don't do that to anybody, for real. That's so disrespectful. But that's where we live in. The 76ers have gone to two straight playoffs, advanced to the second round, lost to teams who had the home court, right? They lost to the Toronto Raptors this year in game seven. They lost to the Boston Celtics last year. Boston had the home court. Like, the idea that they failed is nuts to me. The idea that people look at Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, mind you, a 6'10 player who shut down an all-star guard. Just last round, I had a guy, friend of the program, I'm not going to name him, hit me up and told me, dead ass, not lying, not exaggerating at all. Ben Simmons has only had three good playoff games. And I'm thinking to myself, bro, we got to get out of this PPG mentality. Because y'all would say the same thing about Jason Kidd. Y'all was saying, y'all were absolutely saying the same thing about Giannis. Giannis had a bad game one, and Bama was ready to go. Oh, see, Giannis, I don't know if he playoff ready. Y'all do this dumb stuff every single year. We got to chill, bro. Ben Simmons is 22, already one of the five best passers in the league. An elite-level defender, the only player in the entire league who's a plus defender on all five positions. No, he cannot shoot. That's a problem. He needs to get better at shooting free throws. Absolutely. He needs to become a little bit more aggressive for sure. But looking at the Sixers, it is clear that team is not built in the way that is best for their two best players. And I fear that they're going to double down. If they wanted to keep Jimmy Butler, I'm all for that. Jimmy Butler's next contract is going to have him in his decline, right? He's 30 years old. He's going to sign a four-year deal. Of course, those last that last year, maybe the last two years, you will see a decline. That's just the way the game goes. I'm a Knicks fan. I wonder. I want to assign Kevin Durant this offseason. And I'm saying that knowing full well 
knowing full well the last two years or the last year of that contract, they're not going to be pretty. I know that coming in. I'm just begging that the first two years are going to be amazing. The Lakers signed LeBron last offseason. And LeBron may not be all the way human. He may be a cyborg. But finally, we just started to see a decline, right? We just started to see the injury bug. That type of stuff happens. You got to know what you're getting. So, yeah, if you sign Jimmy Butler, know that the second half of that contract is not going to be pretty. But you hope that the, it's worth it for the first two. And it should be because you've got two of the best players in the league who are very young, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. I said it at the time a few weeks ago. If you built the team the way the Nets built around Jason Kidd, get athletes and shooters and let Ben run. And here's another thing. We all know about how poor the backup centers for the Sixers play against Toronto. Here's an idea. Ben Simmons is 6'10", 6'11". There should never be a second unless it's foul trouble where Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons are not on the floor. There should never be a time when both of those guys are on the bench. When Joe sits down, move Ben to your backup five, and you got a point five, man, and just surround him with shooters. It can work. I promise you it could. But you've got all these guys, with the exception of Joe, Ben, and Jimmy. If they're not scoring, they cannot contribute. The Sixers have to be one of the worst passing teams in the league. There's so many times guys will be wide open rolling to the basket. And if Ben doesn't have the ball or if Jimmy doesn't have the ball, the ball won't be lobbed. You've got all these guys on the team with the exception of those three players who cannot defend. You've got all these guys on the team with the exception of Ben and JJ who are high usage players. They need the ball in their hands to create. That's just not an intelligent way to build a team. I think it's painfully obvious. And I don't think it's too late. I do think that you can still salvage it because I promise you, barring injury, four years from now, three years from now, you are going to look at Ben Simmons and you're going to look at Joel Embiid like, damn, man. I wish those two guys could have stayed together. You can see it coming. Just like you knew Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden weren't going to stay together. Just like you knew Kobe and Shaq weren't going to stay together. Unfortunately, this doesn't seem to be any type of beef between those two guys. These two guys get along. These two guys work well. It's not a perfect fit, but neither was Dwayne Wade and LeBron. You don't always get a perfect fit. It's not... Very rarely does perfect ever does very rarely does perfect even exist. And I fear because this is this is a you have to be so confident. You have to be so sure of yourself and what your part in the pun process is. You've got to be so confident in what you're doing and what type of culture and environment and the vision that you have that you can turn out all the outside noise because it is getting louder and louder. Everybody's talking about Ben Simmons or Embiid. Gotta choose. These two guys don't work. The styles don't fit. You hear it over and over again. Then you got Tobias Harris as a free agent, and you gave up a farm to get him. I, I think Bradley Bill's better than Tobias Harris, and I wouldn't trade that for Bradley Bill. And he's younger than Tobias Harris. Dog, the Sixers, went, they OD for Tobias Harris. And Tobias Harris is not a bum. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's trash. But, bro, 
They OD. Elton Brand OD. If you are a Sixer fan, this should be a time for optimism. This should be a time for, you know what? That was a great series. We played better this series against a better opponent than Toronto Raptors this year than Boston last year. And our guys are still young. We've improved our team. We just lost to a better team, bro. And it took an amazing shot. And you got people in Philadelphia want to fire the coach and trade Ben Simmons and re-sign Joel, or not re-sign Joel, re-sign Tobias Harris. Dog, that would be the trifecta of dumb decisions. But here's the thing. I have no confidence in, in Elton Brand that he doesn't do that. In fact, I think it's likely that at least two of those three moves are happening this offseason. The Philadelphia 76ers are a fun team, man. They're fun, they're young, they're talented, they're hungry, and they're coming. The only thing that can get in their way is themselves, are themselves, and not the players, but the organization. And I can't wait to see all the ways Elton Brand and that Sixers front office screws it up because you know it's coming. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means it is halftime this week. Man, it feels so good to be back. Thank you guys so much for rocking with me again. Thank you for talking to me, hitting me up, texting me, asking me if I was okay and what's up with the show. Don't worry, guys. We will not have this type of delay, this type of pause, this type of break in content happen ever again. You have my word. When I do go on a break, I will give you the heads up the week prior if I do go on a vacation. But it will not be a three-week prolonged stretch. Just had to get some things in order, and things are finally here. Now, because of that, you may be asking, yo, Armand, it's Tuesday. Why are we getting a brand new pod, man? You just excited to be back? Well, one of the reasons or one of the things that I've kind of decided when it comes to my new schedule is that I got to make sure that I put myself in the best uh, position to produce, right? I don't want to give you guys a half-assed show. I don't want to do the show when I'm tired and I'm slagging and I'm, I'm stuttering and I'm not thinking coherently. I want to put forth the best show that I possibly can because I love doing this podcast. I genuinely do. So because of that, there is a big announcement for this podcast. And that announcement is this. We will no longer be doing a show on Thursdays. Thursday podcast is not going to happen anymore. There are a lot of dope podcasts that do come out on Thursdays. Shout out to a friend of the program, Monica McNutt. Make sure you check out her podcast, Brand New, that also appears on Thursdays. But for me, for me, what's best for me and what's best for the show is to make sure each and every Tuesday the quarterly report comes out to you guys. So there's nothing else you need to do. Everything is going to be worked. If you subscribe to the pod, thank you so much. No worries. It will come automatically into your phone, tablet, or whatever else you listen to your pods. If you listen to it, just click on it randomly. Make sure you guys subscribe and get the podcast every Tuesday now. From now on, Tuesday is the date. Moving from T to T, baby. Thursdays to Tuesdays now, all right? So each and every Tuesday, you can look forward to hearing my thoughts on everything from a wide variety of topics. Basketball, boxing, football, entertainment, you name it. On the quarterly show, the quarterly report podcast, man. You know, there are not too many podcasts like myself. So make sure you guys check me out, download, subscribe, and leave your five-star reviews on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever else you listen to pods, man. I want to thank you guys for rocking with me for all these weeks. 
all these months, man, for two plus years now, man. So I appreciate you guys, and that's the big news, man. Tuesdays from now on, starting today, you're listening to me right now on the Tuesday, most of you. So guess what? Next Tuesday, the new pod will be out as well. That's the new move moving forward. All right, guys. So Rav time, we're going to do something a little bit different, man, because I've been gone for so long. I wanted to give you guys basically another quarter. But this quarter is going to be one of my favorite segments. And, of course, I'm talking about Angry Man. Because Angry Man, dog, he got, we got some things to say. And this week, there's only one person who's going to get the ire from us. And it's one of my favorite players of all time, man. It's LeBron James. LeBron James tweeted after CJ McCollum led the Portland Trail Blazers to a win in Game 7 over the Denver Nuggets. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, don't talk to me about analytics because when it comes down to it, I just need a bucket. LeBron. LeBron. You're my man, Joe. Man, you don't sit your ass down. Dog, you need to go back to zero dark 30 or whatever the hell it is. You don't need to be talking about roster construction. Slim, so look at your team right now. Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, Rajon Rondo. Dog, you had Michael Beasley playing for you, Slim. Huh? This is the thing, man. So many people talk about analytics and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And I, I had this conversation with a buddy of mine because it's annoying, bro. So many people think analytics just means, hey, shoot more threes. If you're in the D.C. area, y'all remember this last year? Last offseason, Bama's was like, yo, Dwight Howard's going to shoot more threes. Yon Mahimi's going to shoot more threes. And they thought that was smart. Scott Brooks was talking about how the analytics. The analytics don't tell you to have Yamahimi shoot threes. Everybody does not need to shoot threes. Mid-range jump shots are not bad shots. Long two-point shots are. Again, the three-point line is, what, 23 feet away from the rim? If you shoot 40% of a three-point shot, right, Okay, boom. And you get an extra point. That's looked upon as good. If the three-point line is 23-plus feet away, and you're taking a shot at 22 and change, and you still shoot 40% there, and you get one less point, that's what they're talking about. Don't take the long two. If you're out there already, just take the three. Get the extra point. There's a huge difference between shooting a 14-foot shot and a 23-foot shot. If that's where you're good at, take it. I remember, I think I talked about this in the past before, man. When Paul Gasol in his last year in Los Angeles, Mike D'Antoni wanted Paul Gasol to shoot three-pointers. And Mike was, again, we talked about the Rockets in the first quarter. He swore by this analytical movement. And his thing was like, shoot three, shoot threes. That's at least to some degree. I don't want to mischaracterize his procedure or his thinking. But a lot of what Mike D'Antoni preached was shoot more threes, right? Paul Gasol just did not have three-point range. So Powell kept on shooting threes, couldn't make them. And everybody thought Powell was washed. Goes to Chicago, Tibbs, who does not believe in analytics, and all of a sudden, Powell stopped shooting those 23-foot shots and started shooting 17-footers again, and he was an all-NBA player. He wasn't washed. He just didn't have three-point range. Everybody doesn't have it. That doesn't mean that analytics are wrong. And I see LeBron James of all people. LeBron James has been defended by the analytic community 
throughout his entire career. Remember how I told you guys to go back, go on to Twitter and do just some random searches about what your favorite uh, NBA personalities thought about Giannis two years ago? Or maybe what some of your friends thought about Giannis just a year or two ago? Do me this favor. Go back and search some of your favorite NBA personalities and some of your friends who swear they know about basketball and hate the analytics. See what they were talking about LeBron 10 years ago. Boy, LeBron got all hell from people who do who only believe in the eyeball test. Oh, LeBron's not a dog. LeBron didn't have a clutch gene. LeBron's not cut for it. LeBron melts under pressure. All that stuff Bamas were talking about. Who are the people saying no? Y'all are dumb. LeBron is like that. It was the people who believe in analytics because it was obvious LeBron was one of the greatest players of all time. And for LeBron to be like, nah, analytics are crazy. Bro, LeBron would have five to six championships if he would have ever have aligned himself with a team who completely believed. You saw what happened when he got to Miami. He got two. And then Miami got cheap. He had to bounce. And LeBron had to put forth one of the greatest finals of all time to get the one. If LeBron James had a been drafted by we all talk about how great the Spurs are. We all talk about how amazing Masai Ujiri is as an or as a general manager. We all talk about the Golden State Warriors. Yet nobody talks about hey, what do those three organizations have in common? Analytics. The Spurs went away from it the last few years and look where, where it's taking them. Maybe you guys forgot. But one of the reasons why the Warriors got rid of Mark Jackson is because he didn't want to listen to that analytics stuff. And remember, a lot of y'all won't admit to it now. A lot of y'all going to be real, real quiet while I say this, but I don't care. <laughs> you feel me? A lot of y'all thought that Mark Jackson was done wrong when the Warriors fired him. I remember because I heard y'all bammers. A lot of y'all were talking, oh, man, this must be racial. Mark Jackson lost his job, and they gave it to Steve Kerr. I don't know if Steve Kerr is a great head coach, but I know he's a hell of a lot better coach than Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson had the, he had the weapon X, and he wants to run Clay Thompson through the post. <laughs> huh? He wants to play David Lee over Draymond Green? Huh? And y'all don't, y'all, this is the problem. Everybody who knows me, everybody who knows me, when I talk about basketball, anytime I bring up Bradley Bill, the first thing I do, dog, I was wrong about him. Anybody who knows me, when it comes to basketball, when it comes to anything really, but specifically in this position, basketball, I have no problem admitting when I'm wrong. Man, pride comes before the fall. You'll never put yourself in a position to learn if you're always trying to skip Bayless yourself out of a situation, right? You're always trying to defend the wrong move. I got friends who told me that Eric Gordon was going to be better than James Harden. Right-handed guy. Swear to you, that is a real take. And here's the problem. A lot of people thought that at the time. I remember people saying that James Harden is only good because he's playing with Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. That was a real thing that was happening. But people don't admit that anymore because they were wrong and people don't want to admit when they were wrong. I have no problem admitting when I was wrong. I learned from that. In fact, so anytime I talk about Bradley Bill, this is not just a, 
a, a bit that I do on the show. I'm like this all the time. I was wrong about Bill. Bill has been better than I ever imagined that he would be. I was wrong. But I will line up my wrongs against a lot of my, a lot of people out here who flex like they like that. But the problem is the analytic community, they're not petty, right? They don't hold people's face when they were wrong the way people do to us. So let me raise my hand. From now on, I'm the guy who's going to be super petty. I'm going to be the guy who reminds people, yo, you thought LeBron James wasn't clutch. Yes, I'm doing that. I'm going to be the guy who's like, yo, you thought Gordon Hayward was the best player on the Utah Jazz. Yep. You thought the Marcus Cousins was better than... Dog, we got people right now, a year ago, saying that Nikola Jokic wasn't nice. That's the eyeball test, people. How many, how many examples do I need to give people before you start thinking to yourself, dog, maybe, maybe I should look a little bit more, read a bit more, listen to a few more pods, read an article, go to a conference. I talked about this years ago, man. We all have friends who love music or art or politics or literature or, you know, whatever, sewing or cooking, whatever the case may be. You have, we have people, we have friends, we have loved ones who are passionate about whatever it is that they are passionate about. And they consume themselves with learning more. I've been fortunate enough to have my best friend. She loves writing, she loves art, she loves dancing, and she consumes herself with all of this. I've got one of my buddies who's really big on religion, right? And he will read about all types of religions because he has a desire to know more about what it is that he loves. Maybe your passion for the NBA is not like that, and I am not judging you if that is the case. But one thing you need to know about me, I love the NBA. I truly do. It is my passion. So I read about basketball, not for this podcast, not for my old job, not so I can sound smart in a, in a room or a conference. I do it because I love basketball. I want to know. And I still study basketball. What I know about basketball, whether it's analytics or scouting, whatever the case I know more now than I did last month, and last month I knew more than I did last year. And that's the way it should be when you're passionate when you're passionate about something. Maybe you're not like that when it comes to basketball. And again, that's fine. I'm not judging you. I promise you I'm not. But don't flex like you are then. And if you are passionate about it, don't be so quick to dismiss something because the best player said something. You want to know what? The best players Five years ago said, you can't win a championship by jump shooting. That was a thing. That was a thing. Jump shooting teams can't win championships. And here we are. Right? Here we are. How many examples do you need? So LeBron, man, I love you. You made a dumb move going to the Lakers. I don't know what the hell is going on right now. I don't know what the hell are you talking about. But Slim, go back to Zero Dark 30 because right now when you're talking, taking your shots about the analytic community, 
despite the fact that these have been the same people who have been rocking with you since day one? Oh, LeBron. Angry man got some words for you. Man, sit your ass down. Man, sit your ass down, bro. For real. All right, guys, I had to get that off my chest. I had to, baby. That's halftime this week. A little bit extended version. Basically, just an extra quarter for me to let you guys know because I've been gone for so long. There's so much that I want to say. But we're going to keep this show moving, baby, because we got our third topic this week. Third quarter. <sighs> it's been rough, y'all. It's been rough. Let me break down my Game of Thrones kind of story. For those of you who are new and did not listen to the podcast for a while, I repeatedly refused to watch Game of Thrones. In fact, I actually did try. A few of my homeboys would tell me time and time again, bro, you gotta you gotta watch Game of Thrones. The show is really, really good. And I was like, man, I can't get into that. That just looks like Dungeons and Dragons. I can't get into that. It's like, nah, bro. One of my homeboys, like both of them really, but one of my homeboys, like, you know, more cut with my, all right, from the same cloth as I am. He was like, nah, Slim, for real. You gotta watch it. It's not, it's not on some wild stuff like that. So I watched the first episode and I couldn't get past this one part in the first episode. I was like, nah, I'm not doing this. So I would stop at the same part and I would watch, I've, I tried to watch it three or four different times and at each moment in that same episode, I was like, bro, this is some wild stuff. It ain't for me. Then one day my best friend, she sat down and she, she was like, nah, I'm not gonna let, I'm not gonna allow you not to watch this show. We gonna at least power through a few of these joints and then you can say if you like it or not, but we gotta get through a few because she loves it. And sure enough, we sat down and watched it together and after a few episodes, I'm like, okay, I'm in. I get it now, right? So this was after, this is right before the seventh season was about to start. I binged through all six seasons, just like in a matter of weeks. It was crazy. I've got an obsessive uh, personality, right? When I like something, I just latch onto it and I go. And I ran through six full seasons of Game of Thrones. And I was like, yo, this show is so dope. I love this show. I love everything about it. Bong, I was in. And then the seventh season happened. And I was like, okay. Okay, hold on. This ain't this ain't like the first six. What's what is this? This 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 isn't it. It was entertaining. They still have moments of the show that I really liked. Obviously, everybody remembers the dragon. Personally, my favorite part of season seven was when the Dothraki was just laying Bamas out. They looked at Tyrion and was like, yo, your people can't fight. I thought that joke was so dope. Obviously, we had the, the Night King throw the, the ice javelin through the, the dragon. There were a lot of really kind of cool moments. It was like, yo, that was dope. That was cool, right? A lot of those type of moments. But ultimately, the seventh season fell flat. But had I known that this was what we were going to get as the, the final season... Oh my God, the seventh season is like the fourth season of The Wire compared to this. I have no clue. All the reports said that HBO told the writers like, yo, y'all have as much time. Y'all have as much, you know, you need leeway. You need creative freedom. You have whatever you want. Y'all have full carte blanche. Whatever you need, 
for this finale for these last two seasons go if you want to go more than 10 go if you want to do two hour episodes go okay the game of thrones is such a cash cow for hbo they were like dog y'all got a free license and these battles mailed it in there's no other way to describe it i don't even I'm a little bit blown, bro, because the X, again, I started right before the seventh season. So when I finished binging the first six seasons, which were, they were right up until the point where the book stopped, right? That was like, yo, this is, this is what I'm expecting. So now I'm living in, in real time. And this is when they started writing their own stuff, right? When they have passed the books and I was like, bro, y'all bombers just need to wait then. This can't be it. This season, I wasn't as big of a critic as a lot of people were when it came to the night of winter or the fight of Winterfell. I thought that episode was really good. I did. I enjoyed it. The only issue I had, and it's a pretty big ass issue, was just the lack of story, the lack of finality, the lack of depth given to the Night King. You got the the first scene of the series is talking about. The White Walkers. We have no idea about the Night King. We have no idea about Bran's connection with them. We have no idea why the Night King wants, why he started, why all of a sudden they just went for it. Nothing. The Night King died, and that was it. And it was dope for Arya and, like, moving her for it. But you spent the whole episode, like, as much time Maybe not as much time, but the same amount of time in terms of the first part of the first episode. We are talking about the Iron Throne. We're also talking about the White Walkers. And they just came and went. And that was like treated like an afterthought. And I'm thinking to myself, we've got all this time, all this invested into this character. And that's it. That's it. So then we think, okay, maybe they're just going to go and make Arya like this super... Neo, Ultimate, John Wick type, just I'm killing everybody. Arya literally killed like three people on her list. That's it. She got like four people left. And I'm just thinking to myself, yo, why why did y'all feel the need to rush? They did two seasons in about a typical, less than a season and a half of a regular season. And I'm thinking to myself, what what was the what, why what was the reasoning behind this? Why go seven and then six? Why not go ten and then fifteen? You guys clearly need the time. They just rush through so much, and it makes no sense, and it feels so incomplete. They had Cersei die in Jamie's arms, and I'm thinking to myself, bro, for real, Danny doesn't get to kill her. Arya doesn't get the killer. Sansa, John, somebody, Tyrion. Jamie didn't even kill her. They just hugged and died. That's the move. That's what y'all thought was it. I'm thinking to myself, man, what's happening here, man? <laughs> like, how is this the way y'all going out? Y'all going out like Martin did, bro. Y'all are going out like Martin. I love Martin. But the last season of Martin, 
you don't want to be compared to at all. And Game of Thrones is inching very, very close. I will give them credit. The Battle of Winterfell, I really enjoy. But there was some stuff throughout the rest of the summer. I'm just thinking, Jamie sleeping with Brienne, for what was the purpose of that? Just so he could leave? I don't even get that. What was the purpose? All the stuff that they were talking about. Oh, man, we spent all this money on the on the dire wolves this season and we were going to have flashbacks to Aegon and Raina, Oh, whatever the hell, Lanya, whatever the hell her name was. We ain't getting none of that. We got two episodes of people drinking and talking and you got two episodes of fighting. We had one episode of Bassani getting her head chopped off and now we got the finale and I don't even, obviously John and Danny going to fight or maybe Arya and Danny. I don't know what's going to happen there. But that's basically it. This whole season, you just look back and like, man, this is what y'all was taking your time for? Bro, you want to know how you can save the soul for me? John has to die. I'm so sick of John Snow. Every single time, every single time he leads his troops, with the exception of this last episode. Anytime he's a commanding officer or he has to strategize to find a way to win a, a battle or a war, his squad gets their asses kicked every time. And they need somebody at the last second to save the day. Remember when the wildlings were trying to take the wall? And they, and they, they held the wall for one day. That one night they held the wall and this man died. And then he went to let Vance Mater and they was about to kill him. And then all of a sudden Stannis came to save the day. Then he goes to hard home. What happens? Asses kicked. They get on the boat to save the day. Battle of the Bastards. What happened? Asses kicked. Littlefinger and Sansa save the day. Then the Battle of Winterfell. Asses kicked. Arya save the day. Bro. Their plan at the Battle of Winterfell was to save Bran with the Dragonfire. They lit the Night King up with Dragonfire. He stared at Danny and laughed at her. Oh my gosh, bro. Jon Snow does not need to come up with any type of battle. In fact, he needs to die. He does. I'm sick of him. You know, he tried to, he tried to rush the Night King in the middle of dead bodies. And he was running and screaming at the Bama. Bro. First off, that's another reason why I don't, like, they really just dropped the ball with the Night King. The Night King is the most disappointing character since Anakin Skywalker. I was watching Game of Thrones Battle of Winterfell, and the first thing that came to my mind after, yo, Arya did that damn thing, was, damn it, I wish they could just redo the prequels of Star Wars and just make Anakin a G. Because he was a bitch, and because he was a bitch, it made the whole first three, I mean, there was a lot of other reasons why the first three prequels were some trash. But the biggest reason is because when you are a child or even if you're a teen or an adult and you watch Star the original Star Wars, they cite Anakin. He's the greatest Jedi of all time. And what the hell happened to, to Anakin? He got his ass kicked. Anakin was Jon Snow. Every time he turned around, ass kicked. Lost his leg, arm, ass kicked. Lightning bolt, ass kicked. Every single time. Then Obi-Wan whooped his ass and left him to fry. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? There wasn't nothing special about Anakin. Anakin killed a bunch of babies. That was the that was the only thing that he did. And cry. The man. That night came looked like a G. His ass ended up being some little spaghetti noodles. You know what I'm saying? Just wiggled out of the G. Nothing solid on him at all. I said, I'm so mad. And I know y'all mad too because this is the thing. The last two seasons of Game of Thrones feels very much fast food-esque. Right? So when you watch the Battle of Winterfell and you watch the Battle of King's Landing or when Masande got her head cut off or when the, the dragons in season 7 attacked Sam's family, it's like a real quick satisfying gratifying oh fast food man i was hungry i got them fries bong i'm feeling good but then in a few hours later you questioning yourself man what the hell did i just do and then you're feeling like trash and you think to yourself man i wasted seven dollars or however much it costs and i really should just made some home cooked meal because that would have been better for me and been better filling that's what watching the last two seasons of game of thrones feels like it's like i just ate mcdonald's yeah, at the moment, it felt like, okay, this this is cool. This hits the spot. But right afterwards, I was like, dog, I got to go to the toilet. That's what watching Game of Thrones has become. We all going to watch on Sundays, the last episode. But we all know that it's not going to be good. This is exactly what it's like going to the drive-thru. Then the fries smell really good. But you know, in a matter of time, you're not going to want it. That's what games of those are right now. It is sad because the first six seasons were so amazing. They were so great, so well written. Character development, story arcs, all these things. Interlying layers of plot lines. I mean, just so much, so much going on. So much happening at once. You really didn't know what is going to happen. We all know what's going to happen now. We all know. And unfortunately, every single end result is this this show ends in a dud. They wanted to wrap this season as big and as grandiose and as large of a show throughout the first six seasons. They thought it was wise to wrap it up in 13 episodes. Come on, bro. (laughs) Come on, Slim. Dog, they slim. You talk about tanking for a check. These dudes somewhere on an island getting drunk, making it rain somewhere. Because they clearly did not care about these last two seasons. And the actors, have y'all seen the clips of the actors talking about this final season? And they're trying to put their best face for it, but they're laughing or they're frowning. They know what time it is. They know this is trash. I wish you could get a redo in life. I wish we could replay this and run it back. Because the first thing I'd ask is for the prequels of Star Wars to get ran back. And then secondly, I'd be like, no. These last two seasons of Game of Thrones? Nah, buddy. Go back to the drawing board. Give me at least 20 20 episodes these last two seasons. At least. And come up with something that makes some damn sense. I'm sick of the fast food television. All right, guys, hopefully you're not sick of this episode. It's my first time back in a few weeks. Man, I miss you guys so much, man. It feels good to be back in front of this microphone talking to you guys. I know you feel a lot 
a ways about Game of Thrones. Many of you probably feel similar to that to myself, but if you disagree, hit me up as well. Tweet at me at quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show, or email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on Game of Thrones. Let me know your thoughts on the Philadelphia 76ers, the Houston Rockets, LeBron James versus analytics, whatever you want to talk about. You want to talk about J-Rock versus Jared Hurd from this past weekend. I got so much that I want to discuss. I can't fit it all in just an hour or so. So hit me up, man. I want to hear what you guys got to say. I want to engage with you guys. I've missed you. So hit me up and let me know what you guys want to talk about and what you think. All right, guys. Three quarters are in the book, so you know what that means. We've got one final quarter, and this is what we're going to end it on. The end of a legend, the, the, fun, the finale of the man, the myth, the legend, Steve Buckhands. It's our final quarter this week. I was watching the Portland Trailblazers beat Denver and, you know, a lot of thoughts were running through my mind. Um, Over the past few years, I've regularly compared the Blazers to the Washington Wizards, a team that was built through their backcourt, a team that had routinely stumbled or, um, you know, fell on their face, not necessarily reached their full potential and a team who was faced with some real tough choices in terms of whether they should bring it back or try to retool and, and, and make some changes, some wholesale changes, but some changes nonetheless to their roster. And as I watched the Blazers celebrate in a game seven on the opposing team's floor, despite the fact that Damian Lillard did not play well, I was reminded of how important it is to take advantage of your opportunities, right? The Blazers didn't have to play the Golden State Warriors to get to the conference championships. The Blazers did not have to play the Houston Rockets. Hell, I don't even think the Blazers would have beat the Utah Jazz if they played them, right? And they had injuries, right? Yusuf Nurkic was hurt. The starting center, the third best player was hurt. And Ennis Cantor provided a lot. The end of the season pickup it was a hell of a pickup for them. But I didn't think they were going to beat Denver. But I thought it would be a close series. But ultimately, even if the go- even if the Golden State Warriors run through Portland, even if Portland doesn't get one game, they went to the conference championships. And look, every team is w- competing for a championship, but not really, right? The Rockets were competing for a championship. The Thunder were competing for a championship. The Celtics, the, the, the Sixers, the Raptors, the Bucks, all of those teams were like, yo, we got to win a chip this year. We're going for it. And only one team ultimately will. And while the Blazers want to win the championship, this is a huge accomplishment for them. And even if they get blown out by the Warriors, Blazers fans, in a matter of time, it's going to hurt. But in a matter of time, it is going to mean something to them. Case in point, I as a Knicks fan, the moments that stick out in my mind, the dunk, John Starks dunking over Horace Grant and Jordan, Allen Houston hitting the game when they shot over the Miami Heat, and Larry Johnson's four-point play. Those three, th- wasn't the championship. None of those moments happened even in the finals. But those moments stick out to me. 
And if you're a Blazers fan, yeah, it's going to hurt losing to the Warriors. Absolutely. But this is something that you can hang your hat on. But I started this to talk, this whole quarter talking about the Wizards. And it made me think of the Wizards because as I looked at the Blazers celebrate on the Nuggets home court, it made me think, man, you know what? The Wizards had their opportunity. What the Blazers cashed in on is exactly what the Wizards couldn't do versus the Celtics three seasons ago. We guys got to remember, the, the Wizards never had to run into LeBron James in the playoffs. In fact, the Wizards would brag about, yo, LeBron is ducking us. The Blazers didn't have to play the Rockets or the Warriors into the conference championships. And they cashed in on that type of, I don't want to know if you want to call it a break, but that was their opportunity and they made the most of it. The Wizards couldn't. And though there is a lot of optimism about what the Wizards can do, Ernie Grunfeld is now gone. The NBA draft lottery is later on on Tuesday, and there's a lot of optimism about the Wizards. It got, I got to be honest with you guys, man. It feels nuts that Buck Hansen is going to be right there calling it. I met, I've met, I've talked to Steve Buckhan several times over the years. Each time I've talked to him, he's been one hell of a guy. Stand-up dude, never big time you or anybody else. If he hears you talking about basketball, he'll jump in and just like a regular guy gives his two cents and, and will be a part of the conversation. Nothing weird. Won't try to big time you. And look, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Wizards fan. I, I enjoy the Wizards. I watch them more than I watch most other teams, and I want them to win. I pull for them. Most play-by-play -play guys, I'm not really the biggest fan because ultimately, I don't think you really learn much. But when you are a hometown play-by-play, -play, when you are play-by-play -play for the local RSN, Regional Sports Network, I don't know if you it's important for you to be like the most informative national basketball mind, right? I don't know if you need to give so much information through your telecast. But it's important for you to relate to the fan. It's important for the, the people who watch you to feel connected with you. To feel like you're going through it with us. One of the reasons why I don't like Mike Breen is because Mike Breen is a really good national play-by-play -play guy. So he won't allow himself to be the guy like, man, you know what? This hurts for the Knicks. To make you feel like he's in it with us. It's what makes him great at his job. But it also is what makes him always looked upon as being at arm's length away. He doesn't really feel like he's feeling the pain with you. Buckhands is the prototypical local play-by-play -play guy because he doesn't hide it. When Buckhands goes quiet, it's the funniest thing in the world because the Wizards will start falling apart and Buckhands just won't talk. Because you know in his head he's cursing. He's feeling the way everybody who loves the Wizards feels at that moment. And that's not something that's practiced. That's not something that's, you know, processed, you know, manufactured. That's real. And it resonates. The Wizards have not given their fan base much to watch over the last two years. Definitely. It's been tough the last 20 plus seasons. 20 seasons, Steve Buckhans has called it. 
the Washington Wizards Bullets organization basketball games. And I and I'm not saying this because I used to work for NBC Sports Washington and that you know I was laid off some years ago. I'm not I have no hard feelings toward anybody over there. In fact, many of my closest friends still work there. But the fact of the matter is, man, I don't know what the hell they're thinking letting go of Buckhands. If you don't live in the D.C. area or are, are a Wizards fan, this may not mean much to you, but just give me some time, man, because I really do think presentation and timing mean so much. You know, I, they TNT the other day uh, announced that Marv Albert will be calling the Western Conference Championships, or maybe it's the Eastern Conference. I think it's the Eastern Conference Championships this year for TNT. And, you know, I get it. Marv Albert is the name. People associate basketball with Marv Albert. But let's be honest, y'all. Marv Albert hasn't been... He's lost his fastball some years ago. Let's just put it like that. Kevin Harlan is the best play-by-play guy in the game of basketball. Nationally speaking, Kevin Harlan should get all the A games. He's the best. He's better than Breen. He's better than Marv Albert, Spiro Dides, or, you know, all of them, whomever. Like, I don't even know which of them. Like, he's better than all of them. Dave Pash, I love Dave Pash. Kevin Harlan's better than all of them. Kevin Harlan had the call of the playoffs when Kawhi hit that shot, and it was fitting. His last call of these playoffs was the best shot, the biggest shot that we'll see. But sometimes you get in your own head. You get in your own way. Doing what is the clear best option. But TNT, clearly, having Kevin Harlan call these games, it's easy. Anybody who's listened to any basketball game this year, especially if it's just between Marv and Harlan, it's a no-brainer. But TNT went with the name. They wanted to go with the status quo. Conversely, I don't know what it is going on at NBC Sports Washington. I don't know. I can't speak to it. I haven't. I've spoken to a few people off the record, and, you know, they're not happy. They know what time it is, right? But the fact remains, people at NBC Sports Washington, I believe, and I'm, this is not any type of inside information. This is just what I feel or from the outside go, looking in. It just feels like they're trying to do something. They're trying to plant a flag for some reason. Now, look, most times I'd be willing to say, yo, they deserve the benefit of the doubt. People at NBC Sports Washington, they let go of Phil Chenier. And a lot of people were mad at that. But they they hit a home run with Kara Lawson, right? Let's let's call it, let's call it spade a spade. They did the damn thing with Kara Lawson. There was a home run pick, right? So you would imagine that they would deserve some type of, you know, goodwill. But with this one, this one feels different, man. Because Buck Hans, it's not like he lost his fastball. It's not like Marv. He still does it at a very high level. But then you start hearing some of the names that they've started to interview. You hear Dan Helley and Dave Feldman, and no disrespect to either one of those guys. They both have D.C. ties. But do you think that they know basketball better than Buckheads? 
Like you can make the case. You know what? Kara Lawson, she can give you a different type of insight to the game, and she's better now than Phil was. Like you, we could make that argument. This is not a shot at Phil. This is not any type of disparaging remarks. Because Phil Shanier is also another gentleman that I've had the pleasure of meeting several times. The point is, Kara brought something new, brought a different perspective, and she had a high bar of quality. She does this. She calls college games. What is Dave Feldman called? He's not calling the Warriors games. Dan Haley is doing NFL Network stuff. If you are going to get rid of Steve Buckhand, someone who clearly, clearly has a connection with your audience, someone who clearly resonates with your viewers, you better get somebody better, more knowledgeable, or someone fresh. I'm sorry. Feldman and Helly are not fresh in the come, when it comes to Buckhands. Not in this regard. Not calling NBA games. Now look, Helly and Feldman may not even get to the finals of this opening. I have no idea. I'm just going off of the report that came through the Athletic via Fred Katz. Shout out to Katz. Again, He's been a godsend in this market when it comes to Wizards reporting and coverage. But man, this feels like they're getting it. They, they're overthinking it. If And look, these plans have been in the works for years now. When I left, Buck Hansen, Phil, they were, they, they were still doing the play-by-play. They were still doing the call. But there had already been talks about, man, they're thinking about adding someone or taking someone away. And I was like, really? And I was like, okay, I, I can understand it. But I had no names. I didn't know Carol Lawson was even in the works. But Buckhands, I feel like this organization does not know how hard their fan base loves this team, but how hard it is to love this team. And they're asking a lot. And they're asking a lot from this fan base all at once, all at once, they just get now getting over John Wall's injury, and just most of them are coming to the grips like, yo, it's going to be a rough few years. It took them way too long to fire Ernie Grunfeld, but they probably can salvage that if the rumors are true that they are going to uh, hire Tim Connolly from Denver. If those, if that's the truth, and they don't have to give up any type of compensation. I think the, the fan base will rally behind that. I do think that's a good move. But if you're going to get rid of the person that they're going to listen to for 82 games, the person who connects with them, the person who tells them how they feel, who echoes their sentiments in the best, most professional way that they can. Right? Buckhead's never jumped out there. He never talked reckless, but he never BSG either. Right? That's a hard line to walk. That's 20 years of goodwill built up and you're trying to start from scratch. I hope they know what they're doing. I'm just not confident that they do. All right, guys, man, let me know what you guys think about Steve Buckhand's departure. Who do you want? Just hypothetical. Send me your hypotheticals. Who would you want to be the play by play voice for your Washington Wizards next year? No answer is wrong. I just want to hear where you guys sit with this. Hit me up on Twitter at Quarterly Show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show, or email me your thoughts. Who would you like to hear 
call the Wizards games next season. Hit me up, email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Guys, I want to thank you so much for rocking with me despite the, the long delay, but I'm back and I'm ready to go next week as well. Just remember, every Tuesday now, from now moving forward, the Quarterly Report podcast will be coming out every Tuesday morning. So make sure you guys subscribe, download, and if you don't mind, leave me a five-star rating and write me a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It will be greatly appreciated. I'll be back here next week, next Tuesday, with another episode of the Quarterly Report. Y'all enjoy the podcast. Y'all enjoy the NBA Draft Lottery. And say a prayer for me, man. Let's all hope Zion to NYC. I'll holler at y'all next week.